Disrupting Japan, Episode 90. Disrupting Japan is sponsored by Wall and Case. If you've ever tried to hire staff in Japan, you know how crazy it can be. I mean, there are over 3,000 recruiting firms here, and they're all telling you pretty much the same thing. Well, the guys at Wall and Case are different. When you're coming into Japan, they'll sit down and work out a long term hiring strategy with you. Is it best to start with a country manager? Or perhaps a head of partner sales. Maybe the first step is really a community manager. Now, I've known the team at Wall and Case for a long time, and they've worked with a lot of the companies that have been on this show and with some of the world's biggest brands as well. So, if you're hiring in Japan, you really should talk to Wall and Case. Welcome to Disrupting Japan Straight Talk from Japan's Most Successful Entrepreneurs. I'm Tim Romero. And thanks for joining me. You know, most good startups are obvious. I don't mean that I could have had the idea before the founders did. By obvious, I mean that right away you can understand the problem the company is solving for their customers and how they're doing it. Naturally, that makes it easier for the customers to buy. Most non obvious startups are, in reality, still struggling to find the product market fit and are probably not long for this world. And then there are products like Orfe, an LED emblazoned, Wi Fi connected, social sharing enabled dancing shoe. Yeah, it sounds like something you would find on Indiegogo. And at one time not too long ago, it was. But when I sat down with Yuya Kikakawa, founder of No New Folk Studio and the creator of the Orfe, it became clear that this was not some quirky side project or some overfunded, crazy hardware startup. This was something really different. We talk about the original inspiration for the shoe. And what does and does not qualify as a musical instrument, and how Orfe is being used by the artistic community in Japan. But we also dive into the technology inside it, and that, well, that's something special. And that's why this quirky little blinking shoe is starting to get used by game and UI designers, as well as hospitals and sports trainers in Japan. It's a fascinating discussion. But you know, Yuya tells the story much better than I can. So let's hear from our sponsor and get right to the interview. Kotowork is doing something pretty cool. It's a community of Japanese language students who want to work at Japanese companies with global ambitions. Kotowork also trains them in business culture, Japanese hospitality, and a bit of global marketing. And since it's a real community, Kotowork is always there for both candidates and companies to solve cultural misunderstandings and the hundreds of other little problems that can come up when foreigners work for a Japanese company. Kotowork has a wonderful, long term, community based approach to making sure everything runs smoothly, and you should really check them out at Kotowork with a C. JP. I'm sitting here with Yuya Kikukawa of No New Folk Studio. And thank you for sitting down with me. Now, thank you for inviting. You guys make Orfe, which is an 
LED dance shoes, but it's so much more than that. Mm -hmm. So can you describe what Orfe is exactly? Yeah, uh, Orfe is a kind of world's first smart LED shoes. So the smart means it has a computer inside of the sole. At the same time, there are one, about 100 full color LEDs. Uh, the computer can control the, each pixel. So the user can change the color uh, through the smartphone application. Okay. It's always so hard to describe dance and visual effects on an audio podcast. Ah, okay. But <laughs> so it, it, it's basically um, a dance shoe with an array of LED lights around the sole that are controlled interactively both with, uh, from the cell phone Mm -hmm. and from motion sensors in the ah, shoes, exactly. right? Yes. Okay. On a high level, the idea of like putting lights in shoes isn't, isn't new. I remember back in the 90s, there was a company, LA Gear or something, uh -huh. that, that made a shoe that lit up. Mm -hmm. Was that an inspiration or is what you're doing completely different? Now, to be honest, I don't think it's completely different <laughs> because the... The inspiration was uh, actually come from the LED shoes itself. The, my idea is combine uh, so instrument function and LED shoes. Uh, I, I combined the two ideas. So your inspiration was really viewing the shoe as a musical instrument, mm. which is kind of, well, actually, when you think about it, there. There are some cases where the shoe is a musical instrument, right? Mm -hmm. So like... Uh, Flamenco, tap dance. Tap dancing or lots of kind of folk music. Mm -hmm. So yeah, okay. That's not so strange at all. <laughs> do you have global competition now? Are there companies doing what you do? Or is this truly unique for the moment? In the genre of smart shoes, now there are some startups. Uh, for example, Under Armour. It is making smart running shoes. Uh, it has sensor in the sole. So uh, there are some competitors. Okay, but that's, they seem to be going after a very different market. So, yeah, yeah there are. Nike also released a, a uh, product yes. that had uh, fitness tracking, mm -hmm. but you seem to be more targeted at, at sort of performance art, mm. at least for the moment. Uh -huh. All right. Actually, Tell me a bit about your customers. So other than, you know, having cool blinking lights on your feet, mm -hmm. how are people using Orfe? Our main target is so dancer and performers. Orfe can react with performers' motion. Now, for example, the steps. So there are already some users before Orfe uh, wearing LED shoes and dancing, but it can't react with uh, motion and music. So, for example, when the dancer takes a step, the impact sensor could trigger lights in the background or sound effects. Our shoes can send the information of the step. So, that, that for example, background lights can be controlled by the step. Right, that's what I was thinking. Once, once it's connected to the smartphone, mm -hmm. it's just data input. Mm -hmm. And we actually, we'll talk about that a little later, because I think that's one of the most exciting things about ah, okay. this shoe. So for the moment, it's, it's dancers and performance art. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Another thing I find interesting is you mentioned there's also a social sharing component. Mm. So people can share their color patterns, mm-hmm. their their kind of pre-programmed dance performances. Are, are people doing that now? The user can download the lighting pattern from the crowd, but the motion sharing is not open yet. Oh, okay. So it's, it's just people sharing the, the lighting patterns. Mm. But yeah, it is an uh, important idea because uh, we are a more open platform for the shoes. We are now developing the system to share the, the sensor data, for example. Well, actually, before we talk about that, I want to take a step back and let's talk about you for a minute. Okay. How did you get into this? Because you originally wanted to make musical instruments, right? Yes, yes. Tell me about that. You, you, actually, you did create a different musical instrument, uh, Poco Poco, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> in uh, graduated school, uh, I was majored in industrial art design. And I studied designing musical interface in a laboratory. At that time, I came across the idea of mixing light and sound in one musical interface. So Poco Poco is uh, one example. Poco Poco is an instrument. It is black box shape and it is a kind of sequencer uh, to make loop music. Uh, Just by pushing the buttons, it makes some loop sounds and not just sound, it light up. At the same time, it has a haptic interaction. Haptic means it has a the solenoid magnetic power actuator. So it gives the touch sound. feedback as well. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, it sounds like a really interesting project. What, what happened with it? Did you try to commercialize it? After the prototyping, we uh, made video in a laboratory and it, it has big feedback from all over the world. So after that, I thought about commercialize the product. But problem of design, that it is very costful. Uh, so it's too expensive to produce? Mm. Uh, okay. For business, it is not, not good. Okay, <laughs> all right. So a great project, lousy business. Mm. I've, I've had a few of those. <laughs> so after that, I thought about you know, what product is good for uh, merchandise. Just thinking about it, it it's very difficult to introduce a new musical instrument. Even something like the invention of the guitar Mm -hmm. took about 200 years to become Ah. popular. Mm -hmm. Or even the piano, that for that matter. It it took over a century before it really became widespread. Yes. It's hard to get people to make music on something new. I I think there are two two ways to solve the problem. Now, one is a uh, design more intuitive interaction designing. For example, the shoes. All the people know how to walk wearing shoes. Right. So the, the gesture is already learned by the user. Okay. Now, it is one idea of me. I use the gestures people already know. Okay. So in other words, in the same way that synthesizers 
were a new instrument uh, exactly. that were Keyboard. keyboards. Mm. It was kind of co-opting the piano. Mm. The Orfe shoes mm. are, well, basically kind of synthesizers, a new instrument mm -hmm. that's co-opting tap and folk dancing and flamenco and things like yes. that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> and another one way is uh, uh, using IoT. So the, our, my, my rough idea was collecting the sensor data from the interfaces. I can improve the <laughs> interactions for the musical instruments. So what, what do you mean? Do you mean like you would use the data to create music algorithmically? It is more rough idea, but it took several hundred years to improve the guitar. But uh, the, it is a loop of prayers and craftsmans. I'd like to make the feedback automatic system to improve the instrument. Okay, so more of um, music composition, a, a, a tool to help people compose music and to, to generate new sounds rather than a traditional instrument. Mm. And that sounds like what Poco Poco was. Mm -hmm. All right. Actually, the prototype for these shoes you developed for a, a music hack day uh -huh. in Barcelona, right? Uh -huh. What were you doing in Spain? Uh, at that time, I was studying musical interfaces in uh, the Universitat Pompe Fabra. It is a, a little bit famous university for the musical interface design. Tell me about the original prototype. What, what was it? It is very dirty prototype. But <laughs> it's a prototype. The, it's, yeah. the, it is, to be honest, the Converse All-Star. It has LED tapes the outside of the sole. And, <laughs> and there is Arduino, maybe, you know, the, yeah, the Arduino, mi microcontroller, sure. and wireless, uh, and pressure sensor in sole. <laughs> okay. Just dirty prototype. How was the reaction? Ah, uh, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> because concept is same. When I step, uh, it reacts to my step and light up, and it wirelessly send uh, step information to the computer. The computer makes some sound feedback and visual feedback. Function is uh, very similar to now. Right. Like like any good prototype. Mm. <laughs> So, after Barcelona, how did you end up teaming up with DMM Make? Uh, after the Musical Hack Day, I was uh, seriously thinking about uh, commercializing the musical shoes. And I talked this idea to the Avalab. Uh, Incubation for IoT yeah, companies, right? hardware yeah. startups. They decided to help us funding and Tell me about the the team. Is it all like hardware guys, or do you have dancers or musicians? What's what's the team like? Most of them are engineers. Half is hardware and half is software. That's a good balance. <laughs> How big is the team now? Uh, no, seven. Okay, cool. After the prototype and after the funding. You launched an Indiegogo campaign mm -hmm. back in March of 2015 that was more than 200% funded very quickly. <laughs> Tell me, what were the challenges 
of going into production. What was difficult about going from a Converse All-Star mm. with uh, LED lights taped around it to this mass production shoe I'm holding mm. here? In short, uh, to make inside shoes, so uh, in the dirty prototype, the electric parts were all outside of the shoes, so uh, it is kind of attachment, but uh, I decided to make it inside with the shoes. Of course. And so uh, we had to study about the mechanism of shoes, shoe itself. So what was the biggest challenge? Because I can imagine weight would be a really big issue mm. for you. Durability, putting electronics mm. in shoes is going to be really put a lot of stress yeah. on the electronics. Yeah, durability is the most big problem. <laughs> so I bought many LED shoes and uh, I broke many shoes <laughs> studied inside of the shoes. So the yeah, bi biggest problem was uh, mechanism, uh, the durability. Uh, that we made many, many models, the yeah. CAD model and 3D printing and si silicon. And we, we made so many prototype soles. From the, the end of the Indiegogo campaign to product was, it took about a year, right? One and a half. A year and a year. half. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, start uh, Indiegogo to sipping. No. Did, did your backers get impatient? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, no, at first we promised one year, but there was some hard problem, so uh, it is prolonged. Okay. I want to talk about the tech a bit, but before that, I've got to ask, what does the name mean? Ah. No New Folk Studio. It's an ah, unusual no name. <laughs> yeah, it is a mix of No New York and Folk. No New York is a uh, famous record for the, uh, produced by Brian Eno, and it is a record of uh, No Wave Jam. So my inspiration is mixing No Wave and Folk and uh, making New Jam Okay. expression. Now, the shoe itself, you mentioned it has nine-axis motion sensors. So I only know three axes. So we have like three accelerometers, three gyroscopes, and three... What's the third? Compass. Three compasses, of course. <laughs> With these nine axes, the, the computer knows the orientation of the shoe yes. pretty much completely, mm. right? Yes. How accurate are the sensors? Plus or minus 10 degrees or? Uh, depend on case, but, but uh, basically it is one, one degree. Really? Mm. Well, that's quite accurate then. Well, that actually leads to what I think might be even more interesting uses. So what do you think the, the real market is for Orphea? I mean, it's, it's cool, it's novel, but how are you going to make sure that this is not just another fad? Now, at first, we concentrate to make some niche product. You know, the LED shoes, <laughs> even if it is interactive, it is kind of niche. It's pretty niche, market. yeah. But my concept is not just making LED shoes. The important point is there are input and output, and we provide the uh, open SDK to the developers. So any developer can design interaction for the shoe. Okay, so even just 
putting the LEDs aside for a minute, just the motion sensors, that is really interesting. Do you have anything planned? Do you have early access partners working on something? Are you guys going to be running a, a shoe hackathon? Yeah, actually, uh, after releasing these shoes, many other people are asking to collaborate with us. Now, for example, now we are developing shoes for uh, healthcare. For healthcare? Yeah. What, yeah. what application? Yeah, for example, the, the walking method is very important for the health. So now we are collaborating with medical doctors. The shoes will teach how to walk. So this is for like rehabilitation, mm, that kind of thing? Not, not just rehabilitation. Uh, the normal people can improve the, the walking method. Interesting. Okay. So the big point is our shoes uh, sensing is real time. So now, for example, Under Armour has uh, sensor shoes, but it is kind of log, uh, so it is more... Uh, yeah, that's, that's different. There, it's, it's data collection more mm. than anything else. I don't think those were designed to be interactive. We are interactive, real-time sensing. So after that, we built more specific data. So it is useful for, uh, for example, healthcare, medical. It would also seem to be very interesting for, as a VR controller. Mm. Uh, yeah. These days we released SDK for Unity, Unity Game lab Library, and we built a sample application to working in the VR world. All right. And, and what about things like um, um, gaming, like rhythm games, mm. like uh, Dance Dance Revolution kind of exactly. game? <laughs> now we are looking for a collaborator to make Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> Excellent. So what is your marketing plan and your, your distribution plan for these shoes? If I want to get a pair, are, are you going to be selling internet only or are you trying to partner up with uh, retail channels? Now we are looking for partners. We are now just uh, selling it uh, mainly in Japan, only in Japan. Uh, there are some department stores, but worldwide we don't have uh, enough partners to distribute our office. So now we are talking with some. So what what would be the ideal channel for something like this? Because it seems to be too specialized for a shoe store. Would you be selling these through more electronic stores? Currently, we are thinking about more, for example, IoT gadget shop. Okay. What do they cost? Expensive. <laughs> Maybe than you think. How expensive is... Uh, MSRP is uh, uh, around $400. So $400, that's, that's getting expensive, but not crazy expensive. Uh, thank you. Well, you know, uh, people will pay more than that for a pair of Nikes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. And you expect that price to come down as you produce more of them? And you get kind of economies of scale? Basically, yes, but we are thinking about two ways. Now, more branded, now, more fashionable now products and more reasonable products. We are developing both sides. Because now the, our product is not just IoT, it is kind of fashion. So we'd like to make more beautiful, more fashionable one. At the same time, 
for the functions that the user needs more reasonable ones. Right. So now we are developing two size. Anyway, now we design and we produce shoe itself, but now we are thinking about now making partnership with other shoemakers because now we are more now tech company. Now we, of course, we have to study about shoes all the time, but we don't have to make shoe itself. Sure, sure. That, that way you don't have to scale up production yourself. Mm. You can rely on the expertise of people who, who do that. Yeah, we like to build community. So developer and shoemaker, we make a relationship. Let me ask you just a general question about Japan. Because right now, Internet of Things is so popular. There are so many new hardware startups popping up in Japan. What's the best advice you can give to someone who wants to start a new hardware startup today? Uh, I'm thinking about after Hiarabus. There, there are many displays now, but uh, Hiarabus can, can be an alternative or the con control information. The audio, audio can be a controller. After that, people want something new. So I'm thinking about the new, new things after hearables. By hearables, you mean sort of the audio interface, like Alexa, and mm, mm. so what's the next logical interface after that? My, my hypothesis is beyond control something. So no, no control, no UI. <laughs> so products have to know before controlling something by the user. Okay, so you think the next big opportunity is in, in controllers or invisible uh, controllers like the, the shoe? Yeah, invisible controller, yes. Uh, so products have to guess next action of the user without controlling something. So controllers that the user or the wearer don't think of as controllers. Mm -hmm. Now, for example, our shoe, without <laughs> controlling anything, it can be a log. Just wearing shoes can be a logo of something. It can guess the user is running, <laughs> walking, the, the, what is the direction, what is the goal. We, we can guess <laughs> okay. without controlling. Excellent. You know, you mentioned before with your Poco Poco project, mm -hmm. which you were very excited about and you stopped because you realized it was going to be a bad business. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed a lot of hardware startups in Japan are passionate about what they're making. They're making really interesting things, but they're not really thinking much about the business. I think so. So what made you realize that as much as you love the Poco Poco instrument, it was not a good business? Just estimate the costs. <laughs> <laughs> it is easy to know. It is something that is very practical and easy to do, mm. but for some reason many people don't do it. I, I asked some instrument company, uh, for example, Korg, <laughs> about Poco Poco, but the feedback is not good. So about the shoes, many people felt some possibility of next of shoes. So with Orfe, potential users were excited and said, I want to use this. Mm -hmm. With Poco Poco, potential users were sort of, well, this is interesting, but no. Mm. 
the one、uh, interesting point is almost all people are interested in using smart shoes for something. So, all the people think about possibility how, how to use these shoes and you know, what is a, a, a useful point that they automatically think about and vision. I think that's important, yeah. When your potential customers are so engaged、mm-hmm. and they're imagining themselves using it,、mm-hmm. then you've got something valuable. Yes. The, our task is just make a relationship for the, the customer and developer, shoemakers. We have to arrange just environment for the smart shoes. Right. Listen, before we wrap up, I want to ask you what I call my magic wand question. And that is, if I gave you a magic wand and I told you you could change one thing about Japan, anything at all, the education <laughs> system, the legal system, the way people think about risk, anything at all to make it better for startups in Japan, what would you change? In Japan, most of people talking, we need more startups, we need more challenges. But if you know, someone starts challenging that they are severe about the results, I, I want to change the atmosphere about the, the results. They, they have to be more kindful for challenges.、Uh, so, do you mean that you would make people more supportive of people who are trying to make changes, or you would make people more accepting of failure? Yeah, yeah,、um, fair enough.、Uh, so, be- because before the starting challenge, they are very kind of. But after <laughs> doing challenging, they are very severe about the results. Oh, that's, that's really bad. So you're saying when you're starting, everyone's very in support of it and yeah, said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah you should、exactly. do that.、Yeah. But when you fail, they say, I told you, you should not have done that. <laughs> like that. That's, that's not good. So, I want to change that, that atmosphere. That's interesting. I, I think maybe it's almost a good sign in that Japan has solved half the problem. When I started my first company here 20 years ago, everyone said, No, no, don't do that. You shouldn't、uh, do that. So, they were not supportive in the beginning.、Uh, And they were also very judgmental when you failed. But at least now, <laughs> at least they're supportive in the beginning. <laughs> I think so. We just have to, have to complete that and make them supportive even if you fail. There are many hardware startups, they release the concept of the hardware, but they couldn't release the, the hardware as a mass product. Why is that? Maybe it's a <laughs> very severe environment. To release mass production. Is it the lack of experience from going from prototype to production?、Mm. Is it difficulty getting distribution with large companies? Is it just an attitude? What, what, why do、uh, most of them fail? Or, oh, oh. <laughs> For example, con- concept can be positive, that they support the concept. But the, about the product, the hardware, the, the result, the, they are very. Severe the co- about the quality.、Oh, so, okay. the, when we do some crowdfunding, the, they are maybe kind of full, but the, after the sipping and receiving the product, they are kind of professional <laughs> to 
So were your Japanese customers a lot more demanding than your overseas customers for your Indiegogo supporters? I, I feel so. After the, uh, receiving the product, they are normal customers. <laughs> no supporting uh, mind. Okay. This happens with B2B companies as well. So oh, for really? example, yeah. So for example, for a B2B startup, an American customer is wonderful because American companies will work with the startups and they'll say, no, you need to fix this. And they'll be a little tolerant of mistakes and missing documentation. But Japanese companies compare startup service to IBM and NEC uh, service. Uh, mm, they want that okay. level. Exactly. And so in the B2C space, it's uh -huh. the same thing? Mm, I think so. That's tough. But the upside is that if you can keep Japanese consumers happy, you're pretty much okay anywhere in the world. Ah, uh, <laughs> I hope so. Cool. Listen to you. Thanks so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you so much. <laughs> Your journey to success in Japan will involve some twists and turns. In trying to navigate new terrain, planning the safest, most effective way through on your own can be overwhelming. The Carter Group have been using market intelligence and research to guide Japan entrants for decades. They've honed an agile, cost-effective, but consultative approach that will help you find the perfect product market fit, explore user and consumer dynamics, and act as an honest broker to let you know the reputation and track record of potential partners here in Japan. And when you're ready to go, their executive search team can also help you hire the right people to drive your business forward. So if you haven't got Japan completely figured out yet, the Carter Group can help you out. And we're back. Yuya gave some good advice about when to abandon a hardware startup, or any kind of startup really. The trick is not to follow your passion. Despite what everyone tells you, simply following your passion is the express lane to failure. What you want to do is to be passionate about following your users' passions. Like most founders, Yuyu was passionate about his first project, Poco Poco, but he set it aside when user response was only lukewarm. Only when he saw the passionate reaction to Orfe among potential users did he know he was onto something. Now, it's a delicate balance, of course. You might have something that is truly transformational, and it might take a while for your customers to get that. But please remember, in the end, it's not about your passion. It's about your customer's passion. Yuya's scaling strategy is smart, and it's kind of a trend among Japanese hardware startups today. It's relatively inexpensive for startups to create prototypes and go into small-lot production, selling thousands of units. Taking things to the next level, however, moving into a real mass market, hundreds of thousands or even millions of units, well, that still takes some serious capital. Dedicated machines need to be purchased, custom production lines configured, and a supply chain needs to be developed and managed. Successful U.S. startups have access to that kind of capital, but at the moment, 
Japanese startups don't. So the best way for them to scale is to license their technology or their entire product to larger companies capable of mass production. This is a good and a necessary step, but I think it's a temporary one. While the previous generation of CEOs of Japanese small and mid-sized companies were perfectly happy to have their technology quietly and invisibly power some of the world's greatest brands, and we'll talk more about this next week. But many of the current generation of hardware startup founders think differently. Many take their inspiration from Akio Morita, the founder of Sony, who famously and steadfastly refused all licensing and OEM deals. Morita insisted that Sony products only be sold under the Sony brand. And this may come as a surprise to our millennial listeners, but at the time of Morita's death in 1999, Sony had the best consumer brand in the United States, far ahead of icons like Coca-Cola, GE, or Apple. And as more and more growth capital becomes available to Japanese IoT startups, we're going to see a lot more Japanese brand names come into their own around the world. If you've got a story about the Internet of Things, Yuya and I would love to hear from you. So come by disruptingjapan.com slash show 90. And when you come by the site, you'll see all the links and notes that Yuya and I talked about and much, much more in the resources section of the post. And most of all, thanks for listening. And thank you for letting people interested in Japanese startups know about the show. I'm Tim Romero, and thanks for listening to Disrupting Japan.